And it came to pass, about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James, and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake they saw his glory, and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud, and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. There are a lot of texts in the New Testament that are extremely interesting. This is one of them. Just taking a look at the, the uh, basic background of the text itself and what was going on uh, gives us a very common view of these three men, Peter, James, and John along with Jesus. They apparently had been traveling with Jesus for quite a while, and at, at this particular stage, they apparently were tired, worn out, fatigued. So, when they got up on the mountain, Jesus appeared before them, and they saw him in a great deal of glory, and then all of a sudden, the text says they, uh, they were sleepy. They fell asleep. And when they awoke out of their slumber, they looked up and they saw Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Now, I don't know how they recognized Moses. It may be because they were living in a, the tradition of their ancestors that his description had been passed down from generation to generation so that when they saw him and in that context... They thought, well, this has to be Moses. And Elijah the same way. But be that as it may, they figured it out. That this was Moses and Elijah with Jesus. And so Peter jumped to the conclusion. And think about it just a minute. He wanted these men to stay with them. He wanted to somehow stay in contact with Moses. And he wanted to stay affiliated with Elijah. They, were, they had gone, but now then he said, let's build three tabernacles. Let's build a place where we can come and talk to you, Moses. Build one for Elijah where we can be in connection with you, Elijah, and one with Jesus so we can be in contact with him as well. So that, that, was, that was Peter's concept. Let's build some tabernacles so we can retain this connection that we have at this point, we want to be connected to these good men and to Jesus. We'll honor him along, along with Moses and Elijah. Now, Peter actually was expressing a desire that was universal in its nature. And that desire was to somehow build a place, a geographical location where we could physically come and we could come in contact with and enjoy a connection with that individual. So it was a tabernacle. And that's not unusual. 
as I said before, because as a matter of fact, it, it's a universal desire to be in contact with those that are above us or those who have gone before us or the gods even. Now God had already, these, these people understood that, that there was a concept of a tabernacle or a temple that had already been established among the Israelites. And Peter, James, and John were Israelites. God had, had decided that in order for mankind to stay in touch with him, his people at least, he would have a temple built, a tabernacle to start with that was made out of linen, a precious linen and, and very, very intricate development of the linen along with precious animal skins that were to cover the outside of it against the weather. That was called the tabernacle. And so Moses had in the wilderness directed through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he had directed the children of Israel to build such a tabernacle where they could meet with God. They could be there with him. And then when the time came that David became the king, David decided it wasn't good to let God continue to stay in a tent while he lived in a house. And so David wanted to build a house for the Lord. He didn't get to it, but Solomon did. So Solomon built a temple and a great cloud descended upon it, which indicated the presence of God at that time at that temple. So people were used to coming to the temple to make a connection with God. Israel was. Now, they're not the only ones that did that. Matter of fact, as I said before, it was a, it was a desire that was indigenous to the entire world. Everyone, everywhere, all over the world wants to build a temple so that they can come in contact with the deity somehow. Let's just, I'm just going to run through some of these for you. Now that was, if you see the picture above you, that, that is a depiction of the temple at Jerusalem where the Jews were entitled to come and, and to connect with God. They, they felt like the presence of God was at that place, a geographical location. And as we, as we look at the rest of the world, it was not unique to Israel alone that they would build a temple, but the rest of the world had the same concept. Here's a temple that has been dedicated to the god Vishnu, which is one of the three Hindu gods from the subcontinent of, of uh, India. The sixth largest religion in the world, by the way. But here, here is a Vishnu temple, and they have the same concept, that they could come there and connect with Vishnu, one of the triumvirate gods of their religion. And in addition to that, we have the uh, Hindu temples, like this one, where, where uh, the, the uh, other gods of the Hindu religion can be accessed. And we have the, on the American continent, South America, we have the Aztec temple. And on the Asian continent, we have the Islamic temple, that's Mecca. There's a temple behind that, but that's the place where they believe that they can come and have an actual contact connection with their God, Allah. And then, of course, we are very familiar with some of these. This is the St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome, Italy, and this is where people believe that you can come and get specific contact with God. In that 
Catholic temple. And before that, we have what this is a this is the uh, Eastern religion, Eastern uh, Catholic Church they call it. But uh, this they, they call these the uh, onion domes. But this is at this is at uh, Islamabad, and this is one of the temples for the Eastern Orthodox Church, where they believe again they can come and connect with God there. And of course, then we have the English temple, Canterbury, where they believe that God can be accessed there more closely in connection uh, in their religion, which is the English, uh, what we, today it's Episcopalian religion here, but it's the Church of England there. And then on this continent, of course, we have the Mormon tabernacle in, uh, in Salt Lake City. Now, what I, what I use these for was not to criticize it, but simply to tell you that man's innate desire is to build a place, a geographical place, where everyone can come and make the connection to God, to their God. And these are just examples of it. My friends, there are literally billions of these edifices, billions of them that dot the entire globe where mankind, that is mankind that believes in a deity of some sort, that mankind believes that they can come and actually connect person to person with their God. Now, that may be why sometimes people begin to think about church buildings as places where they can come and and have a more intimate relationship with God. Now, we're going to talk about that in just a minute, but that all these edifices share a common feature, and they're all built with precious materials, and they're all built with craftsmanship that is of the highest degree, and the interiors of all these edifices will generally exceed in splendor and magnificence the exterior. So man thinks this is the place where we can come and connect with God. And we want it, want it to be the best place we can possibly buy or build. Now God had his tabernacle in the Old Testament and his temple for a reason. That was, it was, in order, it was designed in order to represent something else. It was not what man has finally decided or ultimately decided is the tabernacle that we should have with us today. That's not what it is. But, but God developed that tabernacle to begin with in order to define something else that had a greater significance, another type of tabernacle. Now, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5 says that God was very particular about the building of his structure, the temple in Jerusalem. It says that, uh, talking about the priests, he said they serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that you make all things according to the pattern showed you in the mount. So God was particular about the way he developed that tabernacle. But it was in fact a shadow. It was a type of an antitype. An antitype is a real thing. A type is something that represents the antitype. Now this may be the reason why men, people want to find a pattern for building a structure of worship 
among us, of course, and, and looking at it and saying, okay, if God had such a specific pattern for that, then he certainly has some, some sort of pattern for us to follow. Well, he does, but we, we, uh, we, we should follow this specifically and find out what the temple is to begin with. In other words, God is going to dwell with us, but he's not going to dwell in a temple like this. Now, that's, that has to be sorely disappointing to people who spend, expend so much time, effort, material, and finances in building these edifices. Because the Bible says that he's not going to meet with us there. Now, that's disappointing. It would have to be disappointing. If you, if you emptied your pockets and turned them inside out and helped build a structure like this thinking that's where God's going to meet with you and somebody came along and said, he's not there, he's not going to be there, that's not where he's going to meet with you, that would be disappointing. It would be frustrating. It would be, well, it, it, would, it would turn you aside from your, your uh, dreams and your aspirations. But, you know, Jesus said this. He, he made this statement as when he started his public ministry. He met a woman of Samaria when he was crossing that country. Samaria was the land in between Galilee and Judea. If you can imagine these two places. Galilee was to the north. There was a lake Sea of Galilee. Then, then Samaria was in between. Then down at the bottom in the southern part was Judea. And Jesus went from Galilee and he had to go through Samaria. Well, Samaria was occupied by the northern tribes of Israel. Ten of them. And they were hostile to the Judeans and to the Galileans. When Jesus went through that country, he was going through uh, hostile territory. But he met a woman, and he, he, uh, he came to a woman who was at a well, and he asked her for water because he was a thirsty traveler. And she, she got into a conversation with him. And in that conversation, Jesus revealed something about the tabernacle or the temple. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. This is verse 19 of chapter 4. She said, Our fathers worship in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Talking about the temple and talking about the tabernacle. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. So Jesus is actually correcting her and saying, your fathers didn't really get it right. They, they, they went off the wrong way. But he said, he said uh, you don't know what you worship, for salvation is of the Jews. So he was telling them, he was pointing them back to the fact that God had a purpose, and his purpose was going to come through the Jewish nation, Israel, who stayed faithful to the Old Testament covenant. They, did, they had not. The Sumerians had not. But he said, the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now this is what Stephen is talking about. And by the way, John, would you turn us down a little bit? I think I'm a little loud, aren't I? No? Wait, wait a minute, John. They said I'm not too loud. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, when Stephen was preaching about this subject, you know what he said? In Acts chapter 7, verse 48, he said, Howbeit the Most High dwells not in temples made with hands. Now, if I had been a workman, or if I had been a financier of a magnificent adorned temple, and Stephen came to me and said, 
God doesn't dwell there, it would have taken me back. I said, now wait a minute. Why are we building this edifice if God's not going to dwell here? But that's what Stephen said. And you know, that's one of the reasons why they crucified Jesus. Because early in his ministry, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it again. He was talking about his body. But they took it to mean he was talking about the temple at Jerusalem. That was their, their uh, sacred place, their holy place to meet with God. And they thought that Jesus was saying he's going to destroy that place. And they weren't going to have nothing to do with it. Matter of fact, they were ready to kill him for saying that. So that's how seriously people are about these temples and tabernacles. And they still are. They still are. The Mormons are still very jealous over their tabernacle. The Catholics are still very jealous over their cathedrals. The, and, and the uh, Muslims are still very concerned over their Mecca. So when you begin to talk about these places, people are going to take offense and umbrage at it. So much so that sometimes, even well, even today, you may find people being killed because they speak against these places. Well, that's what they did with Jesus. That was one of the reasons they put him on the cross. But Stephen said, Howbeit the Most High dwells not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my dwelling? Has not my hand made all these things? And then Paul, when he was on in Mars Hill, and uh, he, was, he was in Greece and Athens, he was preaching and he made the same statement because these people were still carried away by the, the same concept. He said, God made the world and all things therein, seeing he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't dwell in temples. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needs anything, seeing he gives all to life, breath, and all things. So both of these men, Stephen and Paul both, and Jesus, all three, made the same statement. God does not dwell in a physical man-made tabernacle or temple. Doesn't do it. That happened in the Old Testament. That was a shadow of something better to come. And yet God does dwell. He does dwell on this earth. God dwells on this earth. And he dwells in a specific location, not a geographical location, but he does dwell in a specific location, and he requests us to join him in that place. He wants us to meet him there. 2 Corinthians 6, 16, God said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, that's a, that's a quotation from Ezekiel 20, 37, 27. But it's quoted in 2 Corinthians 6, 16. Now, here's another one, and something you need to think about pretty deeply. When you read the book of Revelation, some people read it like it's just an extension of the Gospels, the ordinary Gospels, but it's not. When, when John began to write the book of Revelation, he said he was going to signify it with signs. He's going to symbolize everything. Okay. Now, Revelation 21, verse 3 says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. It's here. That's what he says. That's what John said. And he will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them 
and he will be their God. Where is he? Well, the tabernacle of God is with men. The first thing we have to do is locate the place where God deems proper for us to meet with him. That place is in his son Jesus. I can't, I can't express this enough. I can't emphasize this enough. I can't emphasize it more than it should be emphasized. Everything that God has created for us, he put compactly in his son, Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, Colossians 1.17 says, in him dwells the fullness of God. God was pleased to put the fullness of himself in his son. All that is heavenly and all that is for us is in his son, Jesus Christ. That's where it is. If we're going to meet with God, we have to meet with him in his son. You can't meet outside of that location. Ephesians 1 verse 13, or 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. What's a heavenly place? That's where God is. That's his tabernacle. In heavenly places, in Christ. In Christ. Colossians 1.27, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Wait, whoa, wait. The text says we're in Christ. But now this text says he's in us. So we're looking for where God is going to meet with us. Where do we find him? Do we travel to Mecca? Do we go to Rome? Do we go to Salt Lake City? Where do we go to find God? The text says you find him in Jesus. Everything is in his son. And we can get in him. And by the way, he gets in us. He's in us. He is the mystery, actually. The mysterious place of meeting with God is in his son, Jesus Christ. That, that was, um, became pretty obvious and evident as G, when Jesus first came to this earth. And John began to preach something. Think about what he preached. John was preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The place where God is, is at hand. What were you talking about? Jesus was close by. That's what he's saying. The kingdom of heaven. What's he talking about? The place where God is, that's where his son is. Luke 17, I think it is, verse 21 says that the kingdom of heaven is within you or is among you. Who was among them? Jesus. So when you go back and look at the, the beginning episodes of the preaching of the gospel, we hear the, Jesus preaching, preach, go out and preach and tell everybody the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that hand mean? Close. How could it be close? Because Jesus was, in fact, the kingdom. He is the kingdom. So if we get into the kingdom, that means we get into Jesus and when we're in Jesus, we're in God's presence. That's, that's basically what's going on. The actual place of meeting with God, with His Son, is in our hearts. How far do you have to go to meet with God? You have to go across town, across the state, across the nation, across the continent, across the sea, 
He's in your heart. That's the place where you meet with Him. Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. The temple we erect for the dwelling place of God is a holy place. Now, when we talk about where we're going to meet with God, we think in the same terms. We should be thinking in, in the same terms as those who go out and want to build a physical edifice. If I'm going to build a place for God, where, where, what sort of place do I build with Him? Do I use, do I use a common material? Do I use common, uh, common things? Do I use common structure? Do I, do I just, just go out and throw something together? Do I go out in the wilderness and build some sort of little shack for God? When we're talking about building something for God, we need to talk about building with good material and with good skills. So, the body of the believer in Christ is not our body that's the presence, that is the temple of God, but, but our body houses our heart, and our heart houses the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God. Our bodies are holy temples because they house our hearts, which is the place of meeting with God. That's it. And they are holy, should be cleansed. Think about this. If you want to meet with God, it doesn't make any difference whether you come to this building or some other building. God is with you in your temple, in your body, in your heart. And Peter said, make it holy. It ought to be holy. Set apart. He said, be ye holy, for I am holy. Several texts in the gospel indicate that the individual believer is the temple of God. The individual now. Let's talk about the individual. You personally. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 17 says, Know you not that you're the temple of God, the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defiles the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. When believers who are the temple of God form a bond now, let's, let's take it one step further. God is in you. Well, you want to meet with God? You know he's in, he's in his son, and you know his son is in you, and you know that the place where you're meeting is in your heart, so you're trying to keep it holy. Keep it clean, keep it spotless, keep it sparkling, keep it bright, keep it pure. This is the place where God will meet with you, clean. If he were to come to your house, Jesus were to come to your house, would you allow newspapers to be spread all over the house and animals running around and, and making messes everywhere and you yourself doing the same thing and just everything dirty and distraught? Well, you wouldn't do that. You'd, you'd clean it up and sparkle it up. Here's the point. Our hearts need to be cleaned up and sparkled up. Shined, if you will. Shine the shoes. Groove, comb the hair. The idea is make yourself as an individual presentable to God in Jesus Christ. But now, in addition to that, in addition to each individual being the place where God is, God has decreed that as individuals we form a bond together that provides a living temple of God, vitalized by the Spirit of God. This temple is often referred to as the body, the body of Christ. And it's also referred to as the church. It's a collection of individual living stones 
that are built together. That's why we're here today, basically, to make sure that we keep this bond close, that we don't lose track of each other, that we don't make a separation from one another. We're in a bad spot. We know that. We have people telling us different things about different subjects and trying to destroy us and keep us apart and keep us from, keep us from doing what we should. We have all sorts of controversies going on, and uh, yet we, we, have, we have prevailed to some degree. Some have not prevailed. Some have just stepped out and said, I'm not going to have any part of it. But you're here today because you are a living stone in a living building, not this church building. You are in the living temple, the temple of God. And the, the Bible talks about it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It says, to whom coming together as a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. You also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. So not only are you a temple in of, of yourself, but you're a part of a larger temple. When you connect with other temples, and look how strong the Spirit of God can become when these stones are formed together. They make a larger a larger temple or tabernacle with God. He said, you're built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He that believes on him shall not be confounded. So living stones become part of a larger edifice, a place where God is. So God is present when you personally, and you personally as a tabernacle. But he's present and probably stronger when we're all together, when we get together, when we keep that bond. Now, some people can't be with us for various physical reasons, and we understand that. But we should never step away from one another, from an opportunity we have to be together. We should never step away from that and sever that bond when we should not, because that's where the temple grows and, and gets strong and stays strong. Ephesians 2 verse 19 starts out saying, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So we have a chief cornerstone and then as lively stones we are built up a spiritual house. Connected. We have the connection. Don't lose that connection because we are stronger and more magnificent as a temple of God when we are bonded together. In whom all the building, he says, fitly framed together, grows unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also you're builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. We accept Jesus Christ as the true cornerstone and is our person in our personal life. Paul said, other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. He's our foundation, 1 Corinthians 3.11. So we, we look to Jesus and say, okay, I, I want to be a place where I can dwell. I want to find a place where I can be with my Father. That's in my heart. But I want a place larger than that. And he said, okay. I have other people just like you. When you are together, when, you, when you're bonded, when you are forming a, a temple, we are a holy temple in the Lord.
Peter woke up, jarred awake. I don't know how. I don't know why he just popped alive, but he woke up and he saw three things. He saw Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And the first thing that rattled out of his mouth was, hey, we'll build three tabernacles. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And, and God said, and a great cloud over came in that fear came into their hearts. They got afraid. I would me too if a cloud came swooping down over me. And the cloud said, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Jesus is all and in all. He's the one. And he's the one who comes into the temple, which is our heart. He wanted us to start building right away. Peter wanted to start building right away, but he didn't have that opportunity. Later on, he did. He was mistaken in his desire to build a physical house, but we're not mistaken in that desire now. What we do is we build a life, a place where we can meet with God. We purify that heart. We make it open and we say, come Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I want to live in your presence. God help you do that. And the way that happens is simple. Jesus is everything. Somebody asked me the other day, well, what, what should I do? What church should I go to? And so forth. And I said, well, find one that preaches Jesus Christ alone, that tells you what he has to do and what he says, and that emphasizes him. And in everything that you need to do to be pleasing to God, Jesus will tell you that. Read the scriptures. Find that. Find the scripture. Read it. He said, I, I, I want you to be with me, but you're going to have to be born again. Jesus, well, men argue back and forth about baptism. Listen to what Jesus had to say. He told the, he told the apostles, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Jesus told me to be baptized. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be baptized. Jesus told Nicodemus, says, you can start over. You have to be born again of water and the Spirit. Jesus told me that. That's what I'll do. And Jesus tells me what sort of life I should live and how I should behave myself. That's, he tells me that. And by doing that, he, he lays the foundation. He is the other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus the Lord. He settles every problem in our life. And he gives us all the direction we need to build that temple. God to help you build the right kind of temple for the presence of God through his son, Jesus Christ.